Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm your host, Albert Hardy. Today, I want to cover Mark 13 and discuss with you some of the things about the second coming of Jesus. Normally, I've gone to Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and other places, of course, in the Bible, but rarely have I gone to Mark 13. I just noticed that. So, let's start in verse 5. Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Can you be deceived by having someone say to you that Jesus is the Christ? Yep, I think you can. Not not just the idea that he goes around with a placard that says, I am Christ, and some guy's walking around with a white robe or a cross over his shoulder or something like that. No. No. He says that he's coming in his name. He's coming in Jesus' name, claiming he is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Christ, but still deceiving many. Interesting. Very interesting. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. And by the way, I'm reading from the NLT again, which I really like. Yes, these things must take place, verse 7, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world. That's what we see now, today, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. These are the words of Jesus, so they can't be lies. He doesn't lie. Verse 9, when these things begin to happen, watch out. (laughs) Watch out. Okay, we're ready for the rapture, right? Uh, Well, let's read on. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. Uh Uh-oh. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we will be arrested as Christians because we believe in Jesus and we say that publicly? We'll be arrested and tried in a court of law? That's what he's saying right here. Verse 12. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed, all because of the name of Jesus. And everyone who will hate 
or everyone will hate you because you are my followers. There's no rapturing away from this. We're not out of here. No, no, no. It just says that just the opposite. We're going to stay here and endure hardship, trouble, trials, difficulties. Let's go on. A child will cause his parents to be killed in the name and for the name of Jesus. Yep. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. That's not quite a rescue or a saving or snatching away. But one who endures to the end will be saved. Exactly. Jesus knows what he's talking about, and he's not lying. The day's coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. Reader, pay attention. It's got in parentheses. Then, those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not even return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight be not in the winter. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. Whoa. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity... Not a single person will survive. That doesn't sound at all like we're going to get raptured out of here. He goes on in this verse and says, But for the sake of his chosen ones, he will shorten, or he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out! I have warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, this is what's going to happen. The sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. No light at all? That's what he's saying. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is verse 24. So I want to talk about that just a little bit. How, pray tell, will the sun be darkened? How will the moon stop giving its light? It's not going to fall out of the sky However, he says in verse 25, the stars will fall from the sky. What is he talking about? Those stars are suns like ours. If our sun got three million miles closer, everybody on earth would would die from heat. The earth would melt. Oh boy, what's he talking about? What are these stars that will fall from the sky? And what are the powers of the heavens that are going to be shaken? Here's my take on it. If you look out at the night sky, and you look up at the stars, and you see 
some that are moving along the sky, those aren't really stars. Those happen to be satellites. They're satellites, man-made objects that resemble or look like a star, but they travel, they move. You know that the stars, these satellites, that is, are controlled by retro rockets that are built in and built on board so that they can be rotated, that they can be turned, that they can be shifted left, right, up, down, forward, and backward. These uh, retro rockets on board are fueled uh, by oxygen, I think. These oxygen uh, capsules, they're, they're large capsules that burn when fired. And uh, they push the, these large satellites. Some of them are as big as a two-story house. So they're very large. They're big things. They're not little. They're big. And um, they are going to fall down. Now, why would they fall down? Why would all of them? And there's some, some estimates say that there's about 22,000 of them out there. Some of them are no longer working, so they have to dodge and work around and move and, and keep an eye on where these things are. And they have tracking devices on board that show the engineers on the ground where their satellite is. And each one is assigned to a different set of these satellites. Well, they send radio signals up there to fire those retro rockets to make adjustments. What happens when the sky is blackened out with oil smoke from the Middle East? If we have a big war over there, and I've said this before, if we have a war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, for example, and Iraq is in the middle, Iraq's that lowland. It's the, uh, the place where the rivers are. I want you to know also that in about 1984, the Russians sent uh, some engineers down there with some new equipment that was able to detect that Iraq... Not Iran, not Saudi Arabia. Iraq has more oil than almost anybody. But actually now, they have discovered oil in Israel to the point where they think that they have more oil than anybody. But here's the thing. The oil in Iraq is all over the place. And it's a lowland, which means it's under pressure. That oil down there is under pressure. So it's like if you uh, stick a stick in the ground, better be careful because it might hit oil. And some of it gets buried. You know, it's actually exposed to the air, the atmosphere already. That's naturally occurring. The earth makes that oil and it's under pressure sending it upward toward the surface. Wow. Well, that could be a problem. If there's a war and Iran and uh, Saudi fight it out, some of the bombs may land in Iraq and set that oil on fire. That's the danger we have in the Middle East. 
So, in my view, these satellites are the stars Jesus was referring to. They look just like stars, but they're not suns like ours. They're just relatively small satellites. Then the powers of the heavens that will be shaken is the weather to me. The powers of the heavens are lightning and wind and rain, hail, snow, and such. It'll all be ruined if this war I'm talking about takes place. I should say when it takes place. And I certainly do believe that there will be a war in the Middle East. And nobody on earth is going to expect its results. Because they just don't think about it. People don't think about the consequences. And that's something that every Christian should address. They should look into such things and follow Jesus' words. So to go on, we're in verse 26. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Did you ever think about that? Power and great glory. If you're the only one on stage and millions of people have come just to see you, wouldn't that be glory? Yes, it certainly would. Well, what about the great power? Well, only Jesus, being the creator of the earth, has the power to fix it when it goes bad. He knows how to fix it, and he has that power, power to make life or to destroy it. It's his. He owns it. Why wouldn't he have that power? We can't take that power from him, and we can't give it. But he has it to give. He has life to give. He said in John 10.10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to read that in the NLT version. John 10.10, 10, NLT. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. Now, that's you and me. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. 
The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay, da- lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Unquote. The coming of our great Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ is going to be glorious and powerful. Let's, let's get this idea in our heads for a moment. The whole earth is covered with a black cloud blanket. It gets darker every single day. Why? Because the war in the Middle East will erupt in Iraq and all over the Middle East, in Medina, in um, other places like Jeddah, Medina and Mecca, in Riyadh, in Yemen and uh, Oman, and in the um, UAR, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, parts of Egypt. Am I making that prediction? No. No, I'm not making that prediction, but God is in the Bible. As that war does erupt, and those fires are all over the Middle East, and there's a limitless fuel supply buried underneath the ground, or not buried, it's just below grade. It wasn't ever buried in that it wasn't ever on top of the earth in the first place. See, You've got to understand how oil is really made. It's not decaying dinosaurs as we have been taught in our science books. No, it's made by the molten core of our planet. And it's full of methane gas. That methane gas is super hot. It's molten. The rock under there is molten. It's still not cooled off. It's still alive, and it's a good thing that it is. It may always be alive, or that is, not alive, but hot. Why? Well, the, um, the nature of lava solidifies where it can. So as it pushes up under pressure and heat, It will solidify in places, but where the cracks of the earth are, it's going to work its way through the mantle all the way to the top. When it reaches the top, well, first, let's let's talk a little bit more about it. The methane also picks up other uh, nutrients, not nutrients, um, metals and uh, materials of all kinds on its way up through the fissure cracks in the mantle. So as it picks up or goes through uh, a layer of water, an underground river, let's say, it'll pick up a hydrogen molecule. Now you got methyl hydrogen. And then when it passes a carbon layer, say a layer of coal or something like that, 
it'll pick up a carbon layer. So now you got hydrocarbon methane, methyl hydrocarbon. When that mix gels together as it will under fission, that changes the substance dramatically and it becomes oil. As it cools, it'll actually form a tar. It's a thick, nasty uh, asphalt and people fall into that. They fall into it. It's even recorded way back there in Genesis. Just as a little side note, let's flip over to Genesis 14 and we'll start in verse 8. Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Bela, also called Zoar, prepared for battle in the valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Kidiolorma of uh, Elam, king title of Goam, King Arpha, no, Aramphel, I'm going to say, of Babylonia, and King Arioch of Eleazar, four kings against five. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. These are what I'm talking about, the tar pits. And as the valley, as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while others escaped to the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything they owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew who was living near the oak grove uh, belonging to Mamre, the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eshcol and Anur, were Abraham's allies. And you can read the rest of this, but it's Genesis 14 is where that's found. I would hate to be one that fell in that tar pit, I'll tell you. That's a, kind of a terrible way to go. Now let's go back to uh, Mark 13. Uh, let's see. Well, let's reread 26. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And that will be quite a spectacle to see. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Jesus continues, Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know for certain that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation, that is the generation then living, will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now let's just stop right there for a second. 
In another place, God told us that the earth would never disappear. And here it says, heaven and earth will disappear. Is that a conflict? Well, we've got to understand some things. Just because something disappears doesn't mean it evaporates into thin air or goes away permanently forever or anything like that. When something disappears, it just means you can't see it. The words on a page, for example, you turn out the lights, you can't see it, but those words are still there. And so it is with the earth and with the heavens. Now, how could both of those disappear and they not go away? Well, here's how. Let's say you're standing on the earth looking up towards heaven, and this cloud envelopes the whole earth. It's a black cloud, a black cloud of oil smoke, for example, as the earth turns that oil smoke fills the entire atmosphere and blocks sunlight, as he said up here in verse 24. The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This all has to do with our atmosphere, the atmosphere of the earth. Why will it be darkened, the oil smoke? Why will the moon give no light? The oil smoke. Why will the stars fall from the sky? The oil smoke. It blocks the signals that keep them up. It blocks the path of the engineers that keep it up there with radio signals. They can't go to work. They're too busy scrambling to stay alive. And uh, the powers of the heavens being shaken? Yeah, well, when sunlight cannot penetrate that black cloud, it can't evaporate water into clouds. There will be no weather when this time comes. So we have a ways to go yet before the return of Christ. Why do I say that? Because he doesn't come back to pick anybody up until verse 27. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of, of the earth and heaven. That doesn't occur until after this great cloud covers the planet. The people on earth with this cloud cover cannot see the heavens. They have disappeared just like Jesus said, heaven and earth shall disappear, but my words will never disappear, verse 31. And so it is. Well, wait a minute. What about the earth? How's it going to disappear? Well, it's a matter of perspective. If you're up in the sky above the earth's atmosphere, you're not going to be able to see the earth if it's covered with a black cloud that black cloud will reflect no sunlight. And so in space, if you look at it from a distance or, uh, or even close by, you're not going to be able to see the earth. It's going to be covered in this cloud. And that's my take on it. Verse 32, 
However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. He wouldn't tell us to be on guard if he were if we knew he was coming to get us. He's coming at an hour when he is not expected. The coming of the Son of Man, verse 34. Oh, he said, stay alert, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He left home, and when he did, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the house will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. You see that? I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. And that is the end of Mark 13. Well, I hope you've got something good out of this. We've got it wrong, and are teaching it wrong in the church. He can't come back if we expect him. Why not? Because he said he would come back at a time when you think not. He's not going to be expected. So why won't they expect him? Because when this black cloud covers the earth, they'll think all hope is lost. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. You can go to my website, itellwhy.com, and check out what's there. There's no ads. I'm not trying to get your email. I'm trying to give you some good things for free. In honor of Jesus, we'll see you next time.